this is Dave Burse from Additive, and welcome back to the Future of Advertising podcast. I know, I know, it's been a while. I'm sorry, but you know, I'm right back in your ears right now, so please enjoy it. Now, this is a special edition podcast in association with The Drum magazine. It features an interview with Patrick Collister, who's Google's new head of design in London, and you'll be able to find that interview at thedrum.com as well. Now, before we get into the podcast, I just want to do a little spot of promotion for Additive's One Day Code School course. We've just put up a dedicated site for it at onedaycodeschool.com, where you can try your hand on the site at HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. It's all kind of easy. It's a bit like trying it with training wheels. You can't do yourself any harm, and it's a bit of fun. So give it a go at onedaycodeschool.com and spread the word. And come in the course. It's good stuff to learn, I promise you. Okay, self-promotion over. Here's a chat with Patrick Collister. Everything you've heard about Google offices is true. Uh, It's a wonderful office. I'm in the the central uh, London office of Google. And I'm sitting with the new head of design, Patrick Collister. Good morning, Patrick. Hello. <laughs> How are you, Dave? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm not bad. I'm, I'm rather disappointed that you haven't taken up the opportunity to dive into a fine Google breakfast. You can have a very healthy American one there with smoked salmon and scrambled egg, or you could have the full English if you really wanted it. Damn it, I'll just need to come back sometime. Um, you've got one of the most interesting career paths in the industry. Your, your LinkedIn describes you as uh, occasional creative director, executive bloody idiot, and executive creative duda. And you've gone from being above the line to then going to direct and now digital. Could you give us a bit of an overview of, uh, of your journey through the industry? Dave, I'm a cork on the ocean. You know, uh, the world's changed and uh, I've kind of changed with it. I'll I'll give you a really interesting little story. About four years ago, there was a lettering campaign uh, from a print production guy who'd just been made redundant from Euro. And it was a very bitter letter about how uh, he'd served this agency for, I think it was something like 17 years and now they were letting go and there was no loyalty at all. The following week, uh, he was in his uh, late 50s, uh, and the following week there was another letter from a guy who was similar in production. I think he was at TBWA, and it was a letter expressing great sympathy for the previous writer, but went on to say that he noticed that the industry had been changing, and that 10 years uh, earlier he'd got in touch with Adobe, thinking that actually that was the way of the future. As a result of that, he'd been able to bring Adobe Suites into the agency to transform the way that they produced artwork, uh, and he had then kept up to speed with all of the new technologies. He still had a job, he still had a role, he was a pioneer, he was a leader, and the reason for that is because he was interested in what was going on around him. And I think, I've just watched the way advertising's changed dramatically, and uh, I've been fortunate enough to be able to change with it. Do you think, as the industry has changed, as you're saying, and you've adapted with it, do you think the skills that creatives need has changed? So from what it took to write television ads and posters to now doing pieces of uh, interactive digital work, is it a different set of skills or knowledge that's required? Uh, yeah, I think, I think, if I'm honest, yes. Which in a way is really annoying because I've just written a book called The Seven Ideas, uh, which is a, and it's a training tool I've used over the last 10 years to help creative people have ideas. 
the seven ideas are basically ways of coming up uh, if you like with the kind of narrative ideas that informed advertising as we knew it above the line advertising where you're creating 30 40 60 second uh, pieces of film that are supposed to then reside in people's brains digital is completely different what you're looking for uh, if you like rather than these um, creative hooks you're looking for organizational ideas uh, and what comes out of an organizational idea uh, are many different pieces of communication which together have an accumulative effect which also together add up to a whole do you say so rather than just replicating themselves which is uh, what a lot of advertising messages do I mean take the meerkat you know I'm not being dismissive of the meerkat it's built a brand phenomenally uh, successfully but actually, essentially, you know, the meerkat has been uh, uh, TV advertising, print advertising, in the website, brilliantly translated Alexander Orloff's book, his memoirs, there's been a podcast. But what they've taken is taken that one personality. So for me, that's not taking the core strategy and implementing it in different ways so it becomes accumulative. It's just a reminder of the one idea of compare the market, compare the meerkat. And I think that the digital revolution offers brands the opportunity to do so much more. So a kind of uh, transmedia, cross-media approach to advertising? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that really rivets me at the moment is what I, I suppose I call non-line uh, non advertising because everything you do in the digital space now has an effect in the real world. And I think that's what we're looking at doing, changing behaviours. But of course, the great way to reach people is through the media that they consume every day. And increasingly in the West, that is through either their, uh, their tablet or their mobile, which is growing, by the way, or their, or their laptop. So you're mentioning there that our job is to change behaviours. Um, previously, it seems that above the lines idea of doing things, uh, or advertising historically, was to change minds and expect the change of mind to change behaviour. Are you saying that it's bypassing the changing of minds and going straight to changing behaviour? I'll tell you what, let me give you an example. Um, I've only been here for two weeks at Google, but I figured a really interesting way of getting to know my team, of getting to know about Google products, uh, would be to do my own version of Google Rebrief. So if you remember last year, uh, Google Rebrief took four classic campaigns and then they reimagined them for uh, the modern era. So they took Coca-Cola, I'd like to teach the world to sing, uh, and they turned that into a, a mobile app that allowed you to buy a Coke for somebody on the other side of the world. They took the Carl Alley Volvo ad, Drive It Like You Hate It, and reimagined it. And they took Avis, and less successfully, I have to say. So, about at the beginning of last week, I was talking to my team and I said, OK, 25 years ago, I wrote a TV commercial, which became quite famous. It never won awards, by the way, but it just had a little hook that got stuck into the public consciousness. And uh, I discovered only a, a few months ago, when my son told me, that it's, a bit of, it's still a YouTube hit, which was really fascinating. So, so it was a campaign for milk and it's two little Liverpudlian boys and 
and uh, one of them says, got any milk? No. Uh, Ian Rush says, if I don't drink enough milk, I'll only be good enough to play for Accrington Stanley. Accrington Stanley? Who are they? Exactly. So, of course, so that's 25 years ago I wrote that ad. So I said to my team, OK, let's reimagine this for 2013. So, at the moment, my thinking is... and. Uh, 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 Back then, in 1989, when I wrote that ad, what we were trying to do was to occupy people's minds. So here are two little boys who need to drink milk to grow up, to be healthy, strong, uh, and sport is a great metaphor for that, you know, for strength and growth and all the rest of it, two little boys. How do you repurpose that in the digital age? Well, at the moment, my kind of thinking is, would start with traditional media, but uh, uh, using milk cartons. So my ambition is to take this to uh, Country Life, who still sell 1.2 million uh, litres of milk a day. So Country Life Milk, on the packs, there's a call to action inviting parents to go to a website where they can upload videos of their kids and demonstrating their football skills. So what we have is a hub, and on this hub there are going to be all of these videos, as many as possible, of kids demonstrating their prowess with a, a ball. We're then going to ask Ian Rush to chair a panel of judges and coaches to select regional, uh, uh, if you like, teams. And we're going to bring these uh, boys together where they will receive coaching from some of the best uh, football players in uh, Britain, headed up again by Ian Rush. So all of these coaching sessions will now be available on YouTube through our YouTube channel. And, you know, every expectation that some of these will be absolutely brilliant. From this, we'll get a, a panel to select a team. And the idea being that maybe we'll get two teams together, so it's probables against possibles. So then you can start voting for players. There are player profiles and all the rest of it. All of these boys, by the way, no more than 14. And then culminating in a finale when the uh, Country Life 11 take on Accrington Stanley, boys against men. And of course, using traditional media, direct mail will invite the press to come and cover it and we'll make sure that there's plenty of support there for our... our so it's boys against men, literally. OK, now that's all really interesting. So you can see how digital media becomes absolutely essential to this and YouTube becomes uh, a real carrier of uh, stuff that uh, uh, enables people. First of all, through tuition, online tuition, but it then becomes the medium that gets people uh, going to physical locations in order to become part of a community, physically as well as uh, virtually. But there's a point at the end of it, and it's the same point as the Accrington Stanley ad, which is to get kids out there playing sport, and they need to grow up healthy and strong, and milk can help them do that. So far, so good. But then I sat in my team, and I told them about what I was proposing to do, and one of the strategists said, you know, that's really interesting, but if you look at Google Analytics, you'll see that following uh, uh, interests and hobbies online, 
kids of that age group, 10 to 15, are less interested in team sports than they used to be. What they're really interested in now are individual pursuits. It's not that they're abandoning sport, but actually it's cycling, it's swimming, and believe it or not, it's dance. Now for me, when you look at the numbers, the analytics, you're going, God, now that's really interesting. So my next creative task is to take my core idea of milk being a food, which was John Steele's original insight 25 years ago, a nourishing food that helps young people grow. Now, as a result of that insight, I can take it into something that's not just boys only, but it's boys and girls. It's about the individual development through sport. But I haven't yet worked out how I'm going to do it. But can you, I mean, in five minutes, I've given you my journey in the last week, which has taken me from traditional advertising to actually the incredible possibilities of changing behavior, of getting people actively involved in doing stuff in the real world. So your role here, for a man who's a very well-known copywriter, um, was announced as head of design. Have, have, you, have you defected? Uh, I think there's been a bit of misunderstanding about this. In America, I got reported as being the head of design for Google. And Google did have a head of design. But of course, some, that's somebody who's completely responsible for uh, the way Google pages look online, responsible for the way the software programs open up and design. Well, that's definitely not me. A, that's a very, very big job. Uh, and secondly, I couldn't design my way out of a paper bag. <laughs> you know, jingles and slogans, as we were saying, is my background. My role here is really to is to bring advertising thinking to what is essentially a media agency. You know, Google is filled with some incredibly clever people, really clever people, but they look at platforms and they look at the way that different media opportunities knit together. They're kind of aware that you need to ha uh, still have ideas to fill these spaces, whatever they might be. And they've got people inside the building who are quite capable of, of filling it. My role is to come here and to uh, actually fill it with uh, stuff that is inspiring and is best in class. Now that's not to say that Google is uh, turning itself into an ad agency because it's not. I mean, interestingly, uh, only yesterday uh, I had a conversation with a client, who a very big client, by the way, who said, I'd much rather not work with my agency on this, I'd much rather you guys did it. And we said, well, we don't do that. We're not in competition with the ad agencies. You know, what we are is uh, collaborators with them. So, again, yesterday I had, the meeting, I had a meeting with the global chief creative officer of a, a big multinational agency who is essentially saying, you know, I need help on this global brand. They've asked us to look at Google platforms. In fact, they've done a deal with Google already. They've bought the media. We've had some ideas. You know, can we work with you and your guys to make sure that what we do is fit for purpose, really good, makes us all proud? So that's my job, is to, is to knit agency creative uh, teams together with clients, getting both of them to understand that the, uh, the ability of Google and Google platforms to deliver what they want is much bigger than they ever imagined. So it's to, it's to excite people the way I'm excited.
And one of the things that a lot of creative people kind of glaze over when, when you mention the words like data. And you, you mentioned there how somebody came to you with data and actually changed your approach, it changed your thinking. Uh, one of the big phrases that everyone's using in the last year or so is big data, and most people don't know what it means. But what do you see as being the, the creative opportunities that arise out of something that sounds so beige? The creative opportunities that emerge out of big data is one-to-one -one advertising. You know, pretty soon, Dave, I'm going to be able to deliver advertising that is relevant to you. In fact, it's not going to look like advertising at all. It's going to look like a material you have chosen to engage with. It's not going to be advertising, it's going to be your content. It happens, that, uh, it may well be that it's supported by, that it involves brands, but those are brands that you have chosen actively to be with. I mean, what big data means is that we're moving to an opt-in world, uh, and I think that's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, in terms of traditional media, I'll give you a for example. A lot of people out there talk about junk mail. Uh, the other day, uh, Saturday morning, there were a whole load of catalogues on our kitchen table from Bowdoin, from a whole load of people I've never heard of. Anyway, I just swept them all up and put them in the bin. My wife went bonkers. What have you done with... Our... And I said, well, it's just junk mail. She said, no, it's not. And it wasn't. She chose to interact with those brands. She loves those bloody catalogues. And they send them to her because she has volunteered to get them. Big data means that you're going to be volunteering to get information from brands about what they're doing and how they're doing it. Now, of course, in order for that to happen, it means that brands can't just be talking to you about, hey, you know, our denims are made with stronger threads, because that's pretty fucking tedious. They're going to have to start putting their brand messages uh, into wrappers that are engaging and meaningful. So, I mean, one of the things that we've just developed here, for example, with uh, Gillette, is a football platform. So, the football platform here is going to get people engaging with Gillette, but on a daily basis through YouTube, consuming uh, analysis, results, replays, thought pieces, all to do with football. And so, I'm going to opt in because I want to know. You know, uh, so it's a really, really interesting new way of reaching out to millions of people, but on an individual basis, if you see what I mean. Now, you. I hope you're going to edit this, by the way. <laughs> it doesn't need edited, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> now, if you were. Uh, you're well known for making the move from above the line to direct, even when above the line people were thinking that direct was a bit of a sort of dirty part of the industry. Um, but direct is something that you've kind of had at your core for the last uh, 10 years or so. And is there direct thinking that is good, strong, traditional, old fashioned direct thinking that applies to this new world of digital? Uh, yes and no. Uh, I mean, let's not beat around the bush. I mean, the reason I moved from above the line to below the line is because I got fired. And, uh, uh, I mean, I, got, I partly got fired because I was misunderstood. I mean, at Ogilvy in the 90s, I set up the first ever digital creative unit of any agency in London. 
and uh, with an incredibly clever copywriter who's still at Ogilvy called Alan Hal, we did a whole series of really interesting things. The first ever branded screen save in the world, by the way. The first ever interactive ad. Uh, we won one of the first ever Cyber Lions for Campaign's website, by the way. So, I mean, what we were looking at was functionality. We were looking at design uh, as well as, if you like, good old-fashioned, straightforward communication. And for me, that was tremendously exciting. At the time, I mean, Martin Sorrell was really interested in what I was doing. When we did Guinness's first ever website, he rang me up to tell me that he thought I'd made a mistake. It was all wrong. And uh, for him, what the internet was all about was transaction. So he wanted to know why the website wasn't selling Guinness sweatshirts, uh, glasses, Guinness uh, uh, materials. And I had to explain to him how incredibly complicated and expensive it is to set up systems for receiving currency online. And Guinness, being a global brand, we could set it up so people could buy in pounds sterling. Maybe we could set it up to do pounds sterling and euros, but actually we couldn't set it up to receive monies from currencies around the world. In other words, by simply setting up a transactional site, we were going to piss off a global audience. Uh, so we opted to make it a brand experience instead. Now, direct marketing... Uh, really saw digital as an extension of what it was all about and I'm talking about the late 90s and the early 2000s which was transaction direct marketing was about transaction it's about the offer that gets people immediately to do something but actually what's happened over the last kind of 10 years and we've seen that the nature of direct has changed from being about transaction to being brand building as well I, I mean I developed uh, what I called vertical line theory, and vertical line theory is that the line still exists, but it's no longer horizontal, it's not, no longer above and below the line, it's vertical, and a bit like the line you get on the radio band, you move it left and right, and the axes are from transaction on the left all the way through to emotional response on the right. My theory is that any piece of communication now needs to do three jobs. First of all, it needs to be uh, supportive of and build the brand. Secondly, if it's uh, picked up by any of your existing customers, then it needs to be a retention uh, device. But thirdly, it also needs to be acquisitive too. It's acquisition. Whereas direct marketing saw all of those three things as being completely separate silos. Above the line agencies still do. They haven't actually really got the fact that you know, the nature of communication has changed radically. So for me, the real attraction of direct marketing was to be able to go and talk to a direct marketing agency about how the nature of direct was changing and that actually every piece of communication now needs to be branded. It can be branded and transactional, but they have to be the same. And what you found within the big uh, marketing organisations is that there were silos. You know, that there'd be wonderful brand advertising happening from Abbott Mead Vickers over there, but the direct marketing would be handled by a completely different agency with utterly, totally different messages, as well as, by the way, completely different typefaces, type styles, tones, and all the rest of it. And so I spent a couple of years saying, look, guys, you are wasting a huge amount of money. In fact, most brands in the UK are still doing that, wasting huge sums of money. They put all of their advertising budgets into different silos. And I guess the reason for that is client paranoia. 
you know if you're a marketing director you're only in your job for four years maximum you know in those four years you've got to do as much as possible but you need friends so it behoves you as a marketing director to have as many agencies as you can because when it's your turn to get booted out you're going to need those people they're going to help you get your next job that's a bit cynical, I know, but... So anyway, I mean, for me, direct marketing changed from being uh, uh, transactional to being a fantastic brand-building tool, as well as transactional, and that's where digital comes in as well. Digital is an opportunity to transact, but at the same time, so long as you don't forget that there is... Every piece of communication is a brand message. So as the founder of the wonderful directory and being able to see the, the, the incredible work from around the world that has been coming in uh, for, for you to cast your expert eye over. Are you spotting great pieces of digital work that are the kind of things that uh, you, would, you would rate as being wonderful things? I suppose I'm, what I'm asking is, uh, what is the, the fantastic digital shit that you have seen in recent months, maybe? Howard Luck Gossage wrote in the late 1950s that the only fit occupation for a man was to change the world. And that became the title for Steve Harrison's wonderful book about Howard Luck Gossage. But, you know, the interesting thing about advertising is that I guess through the 70s, 80s and, and 90s, when I was an above-the-line uh, copywriter, advertising was completely peripheral because media owners controlled media uh, we had no opportunities to innovate at all uh, and in fact we were as a tribe rather despised one of the things that digital media has allowed us to do thanks to new technologies new platforms and incredibly uh, differently wired creative people I call them creeks creative geeks I think actually in our business we do now have the opportunity to change the world and that is through digital media I mean it doesn't matter what what you think about the individual piece of work the Joseph Coney video on YouTube had reached a hundred million people within two months it got President Obama to t send a small contingent of troops to Central Africa to try to bring to justice an absolutely hateful mass murderer so that was one guy with one vision creating a film on YouTube that reached now, you know, uh, in the region of 200 million people around the world. You know, that wasn't possible when I started this business. That's phenomenal. One of the most important pieces of digital creative work I've seen uh, submitted to Directory, it was in Directory 26, came from an agency in uh, Oslo called Try. What it was, it was an iPhone app. And with this iPhone app, once you downloaded it, it allowed you to scan the barcodes on cosmetics in chemist shops. And the reason for this is that the Norwegian Consumer Council were extremely worried that a number of women's cosmetics contained uh, hormones which are damaging to women, both damaging to their skin, believe it or not, as well as damaging to their, essential, their hormone balance. So here are cosmetics being sold to women to make them look more attractive that are actually going to do the very opposite to that in the long term. Now, as an advertising guy, I believe I have a moral responsibility to my clients to tell them not to do evil. 
you know. And here are big companies like L'Oreal, you know, and Revlon doing evil because actually they've been motivated by profit rather than actually by building brands through better products that women, uh, that us consumers really want. Now this app from Try, uh, so far one and a half million people, one and a half million cosmetics have been scanned and the contents of those cosmetics uploaded to a website so you can see at a glance, you know, which of the products you buying are dangerous for you. What's happened, of course, is it's forced the cosmetics companies to change their behavior. They're now modifying the nature of their products, taking out the damaging chemicals, which actually they should have done in the first place. But what I really love about it is that now clever people inside advertising agencies are coming up with platforms that are making brands behave themselves. One of my favorite examples of all of this is, you know, in 2008, uh, uh, Goldman Sachs, among others, really took the world's financial markets to the very edge. And uh, certainly in the UK, our economy has never recovered. The economy in the United Kingdom in 2013 is smaller than it was in 2008, you know, which was the moment when Lehman's collapsed and with it the whole banking industry and we're still trying to recover. The banks themselves, the big merchant banks, actually recovered before anybody else. So in 2010, Goldman Sachs decided that they would award themselves six billion dollars in bonuses. Billion, that is. So a number of people thought that this was probably not a good idea. Uh, but essentially Goldman Sachs said, sod off, we can do what we like, we are inviolate. It turned out that they weren't, because a really clever creative person had an idea. And his idea was just so simple. If you go to Hollywood, you can climb in a bus, a tour bus, and you can do the tour of where the stars live. This guy came up with a map where the bankers live. You see, the great thing about being a banker is that you were invisible. You were behind uh, gated walls. What he did is he exposed these people, and so bricks started going through people's windows. So uh, they didn't like this at all, and of course the site got taken down, injunctions were taken out, but actually what had happened was really, really important, which is that a, a group of people who thought they were inviolate discovered that they weren't, they are accountable. Uh, as a result of that, in the UK, Goldman Sachs agreed that they would reduce the size of their bonus pool, and in the UK they've created, or they said they were going to create, I've yet to see evidence of it, but a billion dollar scholarship fund for educational programs. One creative guy had one idea, and it brought this bank, you know, uh, down onto its knees asking for forgiveness. At Google, your job here, you've been here two weeks now, just uh, getting your feet under the table and understanding what's going on, but what's the, um, what are the big products that Google are wanting to push at the moment? What's, what do you think it is that are, is, is the agenda just now that agencies should be getting involved in? Uh, Google Plus is the fastest growing uh, social network in the history of the internet. Um, it's kind of like Facebook, but it operates differently. And so, um, 
definitely Google Plus is a number of uh, our clients have already discovered that it's fantastically powerful and useful to them. Uh, I think also for me, YouTube is, I mean, what's blown me away, YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world. And one of the things I found really fascinating in the last two weeks here is discovering that actually the way YouTube can really service brands is not through the big mega viewed hero video that reaches 100 million people. You know the wonderful TNT stuff from Belgium. Duval Guillaume are absolutely brilliant at creating these candid camera moments, if you know what I mean, that are just so fabulous that, like the TNT, a small town in uh, Belgium push button to add drama, you know, 100 million people have seen it. But actually the stuff that really, really works is the hygiene stuff. Really videos that maybe get 15, 20,000 views, but are, are fantastically supportive of the brand. One example that uh, I know we, that we've been talking about here is O2, for example. O2 have got uh, a site called, I think it's called O2 Genius. Uh, but what it is, it's a whole load of YouTube videos that answer any question you might have about your iPhone. Now, I'm, I mean, I'm such a charlatan, Dave. Here I am talking to you about digital media. I can't use my iPhone. I mean, I really can't. Anyway, if you go to o2genius.com, I can say, how do I rearrange the icons? And there's a video that shows me that. You know, anything to do with your, your, your phone, your smartphone, there's a video where somebody explains to you how it can be done. And actually, accumulatively, the total number of views here you know, do run into millions. But more to the point is people saying to O2, God, thanks. You know, God, I didn't know how to do that. You know, now I don't look like a dumb schmuck. You know, when I asked my son to show me how I can move the icons on my iPhone, as I did last night, I feel a complete pillock, you know, because he mocks me. If I can go to a YouTube video, you know, sponsored by Branded O2, God, I feel good about them as a brand. Now here, as, as somebody who's been creative director for very many years, um, do you have a creative department under you? Because there's a whole lot of students who have said to me that their dream job is to come and work at Google and they want to be in your department if you have one. Listen, I've only been here two weeks, so uh, my answer is I don't know. Uh, I, I cannot imagine that a time won't come when I'll be needing people with traditional advertising skills. At the moment, most of my department are designers. Uh, there are some fantastically able people, by the way, that I've got working for me. I mean, really, people who uh, blow me away, by the way. Uh, they may be designers rather than art directors, but I don't want to belittle them at all. Phenomenal talents. In terms of wanting to work here, I think that's just a wonderful ambition for people to have. Well, let me ask uh, one final question then, because I know you have to. I know you have to rush, and it's uh, yeah. Um, what is the one piece of technology, or even just piece of information or insight that you've found out in the, since you've started or in your time preparing that is exciting you most? What is the one thing that's really got you fired up? It's going to sound weird. But we mentioned the word before, it's the D word, data. 
I told you about my milk project and I told you that one of the strategists said, you know, that's really interesting, but if you look at the data, you'll see that young people actually aren't following team sports the way they used to. They're now into individual pursuits like cycling, swimming and dance. Anyway, I started looking at the data about boys, you know, who are interested in dance and it just blows you away. I mean... I've spent the last five years talking to clients about insights because now most client briefs to most agencies have a box on it saying uh, customer insight and most of those are just pathetic. I saw a beer brief uh, in October of last year and in the customer insight it said um, on a Friday night young men often like to go out with their mates to let off steam. I mean, what kind of an insight is that? I mean, it's not an insight. It's not even a bloody observation. It's just moronic. So for me, when that strategist started talking about the nature of behavioural change away from team sports to individual pursuits, that really did open my mind to the fact that data does genuinely reveal insights that we can leverage in ways as creative people that we haven't had before. We just have to be open to it. Also, I was talking to a guy called Terry Hunt. Uh, Terry Hunt was the H in EHS. And uh, even though he fired me, he's still a very, very interesting guy and a very clever guy. A genius writer. He could easily have uh, been a, a seriously competent novelist before earning a living captured him and direct marketing uh, made him relatively wealthy. But Terry kind of created the Tesco club card, really, with Clive Humby. Clive Humby made all the millions, but it was Terry who kind of drove it. And out of uh, his understanding of data and through the Tesco club card and really the impact that had on Tesco business. And by the way, as an aside, the new CEO of uh, Tesco has walked away from the club card. And I personally think it's no accident that you see Tesco's business beginning to suffer as a result of this lack of enthusiasm for the one-to-one -one communication that club card allowed them to have with their customers. But for me, looking at all of that, I've got this concept of branded data. You know, big data itself is a meaningless phrase. What it just means is that there's so much information we don't know where to start looking for it. But actually, out of Club Card and out of conversations with Terry, I've got this concept of branded data. I can't make any sense of it yet because I haven't actually wrapped my brain around how analytics work. But I can tell you that sitting on my desk there are three people with PhDs, you know, and I know that between us what we're going to be able to do is to come up with a tool that allows us to be able to look at data in such a way that we can extrapolate from it information that is relevant to a brand and its personality. I don't mean to kind of customer behaviours, but actually to the brand personality, to the brand positioning. And then from that, we're going to be able to develop insights that will be incredibly motivating. At the moment, it's just a kind of a hazy vision. Do you see what I mean? I'm, I'm just showing you in the fog of my rather feeble brain. I can see a shape, but that shape is going to be informed by data. I know it. Patrick, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much indeed for your time. That's great. Thanks, Dave.
We're hoping to do lots more of these simplified podcasts with the drum, so drop us a line at podcast at getadditive.com to tell us what you think. And thank you for listening. See you soon. The Future of Advertising podcast is brought to you by Additive, the marketing industry's most inspiring training company. Find out more about our talks, workshops and inspiration sessions at getadditive.com. Thank you.